Hi, I'm Sierra, Alex, Day, and Mika. We're your sassy, goofy, honest, and real girlfriends. Welcome to the Party of Four podcast. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Sierra Claire, aka The Sassy One. I'm a first-year graduate student at the University of Central Florida, studying public administration with a focus on public policy analysis. Hey, I'm Alexandra, but you can call me Alex, and I'm the goofy one. I'm also a first-year graduate student, but I'm pursuing my master's in higher education student personnel. Hi, everyone. My name is Day. I'm the honest one, and I'm also getting my master's in higher education, and I'll be graduating this May, so that's exciting. And hey, everyone, I'm Mika. I'm the real one. I'm graduating this May with a master's in higher education as well. All right, so let's go. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Self-Made, Inspired by the Life of Madam C.J. Walker by Nicole Jefferson Asher. And tonight's episode is brought to you by (laughs) nobody yet, but we're getting there. We're still practicing social distancing by recording virtually. But drinks are very much the part of social gatherings. So, Alex, what are you drinking tonight? So, I'm drinking an Amaretta Sour. Um, fun fact, that is my favorite mixed drink. Ooh. So I used wow. to love Amaretta Sours, girl. So very good. Um, so, drinking? I'm sadly drinking water. Uh, you know, times are tough. My mom's got me on this, like, <laughs> diet trying to be core fine. So, I'm just going with it. Oh, gosh. And Mika? How about you? So I took a step up from water and I'm drinking a Propel electrolyte beverage from Gatorade. Wow. Sponsor Gatorade, if you can hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm drinking, the grape, I'm drinking the grape, grape flavor. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Very good. I'm drinking an Angry Orchard right now, real fresh and crisp. Very good. So Mika, take it away with our summary for tonight. All right. So as you know, we love the Google. So in Googling what self-made was, um, I pulled up a description. There was the premise of the entire series. And the series is a fictional depiction of the untold and highly irreverent story of black hair pioneer and mogul Madam C.J. Walker and how she overcame the hostile turn of the century in America with epic rivalry and a tumultuous marriage. Pretty much. And then it goes on to talk about how she later on became a millionaire. And that was like the premise. So like we said, the writer was Nicole Jefferson. And we I actually learned that LeBron James had something to do with the producing of the LeBron James. Yes, he's on there as a producer. Oh, wow. Well, I have some quick fast facts that I wanted to um, add in before we got started. So that's fact number one. Uh, Jack Johnson, who... We see, I think, in the, like the first two episodes, or primarily like in episode one, he was the first heavyweight boxing champion, and he had the fight of the century, which is shown in the series. Um, and I thought it was interesting when I was googling him. I kind of went on like a deep dive, and he married three times, and all of his wives were white, which for that time period is very like surprising and shocking to me. Um, mm-hmm. And he actually was convicted of violating the Man Act on charges of transporting a white woman across the state borders for immoral purposes, whatever that means. Um, And he served 10 months of his one-year sentence. And then my second fast fact was that Madam C.J. Walker and Booker T. Washington scene, which I believe is episode three, 
that honestly never happened. Oh. What happened was, well, Booker T. Washington did ignore um, Madam T.J. Walker. He didn't feel like women, that like, like feminine products should be sold. Um, he did have those feelings, but they never had that interaction. And they had a very frosty relationship. But I think probably like a year before his life ended, they were on good terms. So before we get started um, talking about the series and breaking it down, there was this quote from Booker T. Washington that I really loved to start off, which I think is like the overall kind of theme, not the overall theme, but like one of the prevalent themes of the show. So and the quote is, associate yourself with people of good quality, for it's better to be alone than in bad company. Mm-hmm. Mm. Love it. That's deep. That's simple. And it's just, yeah. It is. It's so deep. It is so deep. And when you watch the show, you can real like use this quote in so many different aspects of the show so yeah and also i want to say for anybody that hasn't seen it i highly 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 recommend it oh absolutely whether you're like a woman of color man it, like it doesn't it doesn't matter like any and everybody should see it i felt really inspired mm-hmm. and there's so many things throughout it that i think people can um take away definitely and so many things are still so relevant yeah. today like you could definitely relate to it mm-hmm. exactly and that was a hundred years ago. I know that's so, like, crazy. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's like the oh perfect way to get into the prevalent themes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, seriously, because we t- talked about like outside of this podcast how there were a lot of themes that are very relevant, not only for that time but also for today. We talked about gender roles. We talked about black love and money and what that looks like. We talked about. Um, a women empowerment and disenfranchisement. And so we can just dive into some of those. I guess we could take it away from the top with gender roles. Like Sierra said, this was like a hundred years ago. So um, being, there was um, a lot of times in the scene where there was the talk of being in a woman's place or taking a woman's place. So one of the questions that came up was what does, what comes to mind when you hear this phrase? I think for me, what came to mind was, Men are the breadwin- like the breadwinners, and um, a, like the woman's place is in the kitchen. It's raising children. And there's this phrase that my great-grandma used to say to me because as a child, I talked, even now, I still talk a lot, and I didn't care. And she'd say, uh, Sierra, you need to be a lady. Women are meant to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. Oh and that I shit would piss so me because it was like what you know like me I just don't like y'all know me I don't care I'm just like all laughing giggles and it's like that I feel like that phrase is perfect for like like what is a woman's place and that's it yeah and I think relating it back to the series how um the wives believe that and they believe that that was their place they were content with being in the kitchen making the refreshments you know what else is interesting, too, is when uh, Booker T. Washington's wife was like, that's not my place to go in his affairs. And it was, you know, like she knew her place. Yeah. I think that's very interesting that you mentioned that. Because even in addition to it being like a place that seems to be like secondary or like subordinate, like they still found like pleasure being there, which was kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like with their formation of the 
NACW, so the National Association of Colored Women. And they created that as a subset or like, not an other, to the actual um, National Association Mm -hmm. of Black Men. Um, So I thought that was very interesting, like in their within their role and what they saw as a, a women a woman's place, like they found empowerment yeah. still. So that was like to me that that scene specifically sounded a lot like you know things could be so much worse than what they are right now. Like it was almost like a complacency of like I can't I'm not gonna fight it. This is where I am. Mm-hmm. I got it good where I have it right now. As opposed to like Madam C J Walker who was just kind of like but there's more. Exactly. Exactly. Then it was like when it was introduced to them, and they like fully understood what she was saying. Yes. They were for it. Mm-hmm. And I think why they were so complacent was, and the father, um, Madam C J Walker's husband's father, he made a statement in the first episode, and he was like, "Lincoln freed me forty years back." And when you think about it, forty years is not a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Forty years for us is like nineteen eighty, right? Um, and it doesn't seem like that. It's that long ago. So they were pretty, you know, slavery was still pretty fresh to them. This was still like, you know, not too long ago. Like I, they're probably like that first generation born out of slavery or they, you know, or like born free. So I think they are still thinking, like you said, Dave, things could be a lot worse. We can be on somebody's plantation right now. Take it for how we have it, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of complacency. That is so true. And then something else I wanted to bring up in that conversation between, um, Booker C. Washington and Madam T.J. Walker was how he said, how is America going to take us seriously if we allow our women to surpass us? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. But like, mm, what do y'all think about that? Mm. That pissed me off. That really, really I feel like that was like the first forms of like black masculinity and black, um, (laughs) black man complex. (laughs) Absolutely. And to me, it was oh gosh. To me, it also was just so sad the fact that like that statement took acknowledgement of the fact that you yourself knew you're oppressing your wife, like you know that you're still oppressing the women. Like that was the acknowledgement of mm-hmm. that statement. And the fact that he thought that was the right thing to say or the right way to think, like we can't all grow, mm-hmm. we can't all win together. Well, it's good. It's interesting because Booker T. Washington was not loved by all. Negroes, and I'm I'm saying Negroes because that's how they they kept saying that in the show. He was not loved by all black people. I'll be very honest. A lot of black people felt like he was um, just kind of being compliant to the white folks. He was the first black man in the White House, only because they thought, hey, if we have this one educated black free man, he can control the other blacks. He was not respected in the white community, although he may have thought he was. He thrived and talked on to be complacent in the white man's world until we can come up whenever that may be. So that was his ideology. And I think that shows even with women as well. That's so true. And then you can also see how that plays into the formation, like the isolation of women of color, not only from like being a part part of like black um, progressivism and then how that plays into them being excluded from feminism. So that's where like black feminism kind of came into play. Like you could just see how all of that starts to play out. So I think that's really cool. Like the um, series was able to capture all of that. And that's a good segue into our next like topic of black love and money. And like, how is that supported in relationships? Throughout the series, we see like with Madam J. Walker and her husband, you see this struggle of she's growing 
and growing and he is not ready to grow. And I honestly feel like as a minority, when you're born into poverty and you don't properly, one, know how to manage your money, you don't know how to budget it, um, you already are oppressed as a person. When you get with somebody that's power, not powerful, but that has this growth that you don't have, you get intimidated, which is, I felt like, how her husband was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard for him to support her. Yes, I agree, too. Okay. I also felt like she had the vision. Like, she kept saying, I have a vision, I have this, I have the dream, I have the sight. And he just couldn't buy into it. Like, he was like, what are you talking about? He couldn't. It just bothered him. And that's why I'm saying I've dated guys who were like, Sierra, like, you know, like, why do you want to do that? Like, let's just stay here. And like, cause I'm from Polk County, Florida. So they're like, like, let's just stay here in Polk County, a very simple life. I'm like, no, I want to go so much further in life. Like there's more than like, there's more than just Polk County, Florida to me. Mm-hmm. So I really understood Madam CJ Walker when she had that vision. And I'm so happy she didn't let a man stop her or diminish her or make her feel too little because he couldn't see his own potential. I think that's a very good point. And um, I think that also built, brought into like play the dynamic of like how she kind of was trying to pedal to being a wife towards him and then also being a businesswoman and what that looks like. That, that, that dynamic, I feel like it still plays out today. Like a lot of times, like us in higher education and pursuing greater career goals, we're placed in this position where we're always having to go between that dynamic because like being you know, women to, or men, or like seeking, as far as when we're looking for date, like being more feminine when we're dating and that kind of thing. And then we still have to turn around and be, you know, leaders because at the same time, like what we're pursuing is more leadership positions. And so that dynamic played out so well. (laughs) And going off of what you just said, Mika, and this is a question too, for honest, do you guys believe in that phrase that like, you can have it all? Like, you can be the wife, the mother, the millionaire. Like, do you guys really feel like that's achievable in today's society? And I guess even back then, too. I think uh, back then, (laughs) it's a lot more difficult back then than it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So do you feel like Madam J. Walker had to choose? She definitely did. Like, within her her role. There was no choice. Like, there was no way that she could play to both sides because we kind of see how he was constantly being um, antagonized by like other men, like coming in into his ear. And it's kind of difficult for us to think like, Oh, you know, just because we're in a relationship together that other parties are not going to have a say or not going to affect the way we react in certain situations and how we feel. So it was a very like rock and a hard place for him and then we kind of see that play out when he kind of blows up on her. And he's like, I'm the man of this house. I don't know if y'all remember that part. But yeah, like yeah. it was crazy. Like, too. Both of them were placed in this very tough and toxic situation because one person was trying to progress. And it just so happened <laughs> that person wasn't necessarily the quote unquote dominant one in the relationship for a relationship of that mm, time. I also think like but with that situation with CJ, I think it also plays into like his insecurities and confidence in himself right because you see ransom who's like supporting madam cj walker like constantly and consistently like truly could be like this is it this is her calling this is everything and so yeah. and back to like your original question yep. sierra i think that 
like the mentality of people that you're more likely to find people who could be more confident and comfortable with not being in that stereotypical box of like, either you're a businesswoman or either you're a mother and stuff like that. But realistically, you also look at like the systemic things in place and like, how long do you have for maternity leave and like, you know, all those different things. And, and so I think society and like the systems in place still make you choose. That is very true. I feel I agree with that. And I do think that the position she was in, she had to choose. But if you go back to like when she first got that shop, all like all of her energy was into her business and not into her relationships. I feel like in order to have it all, you have to be able to evenly distribute where your energy is going into if you want to have all those things. That's a good point. That is a good point. I agree. But I feel like if I am the entrepreneur and I have this vision and I know it can make us money, you can't expect me to be playing like this wife role 24-7, cooking you, like cooking for you, waking up early, do all this stuff for you. When I am about to be the go-getter right now, you should kind of be supporting me so I can put that energy back in there. I feel like once he knew that this was going to be successful, he was like, all right, we're not doing this. Like he just felt like he had to be baby. Like he had to have her back. He had to have her attention 24 seven. And that's unfair to put that guilt on me when I want to chase my dream. Yeah. I, I feel like in the beginning, he was a lot more supportive than most men would have been for that time. That's what I'm saying. Right mm-hmm. when they got to, was it Indiana? I no, really hope I'm not saying. Right when they no, moved, I think you're right. Indianapolis, right? Am <laughs> I saying that right? <laughs> yeah. Right when they got to Indiana, and I don't know if you guys remember this scene, when she had her first grand opening and nobody showed up, and she was like in the kitchen, she was cooking, and he looked at her and he was like, this was a mistake. We should have never moved here. And she's like, we got this. And he's like, no, you have two weeks or working at that hotel to put money on the table. He didn't even say, okay, babe, like, this didn't go as planned let's you know like it's gonna be okay let's make it better his first reaction was to get up and go so that just shows right then and there if your first reaction is to get up and go on my dream I know like you don't have my back so I have to have my back 100% and from that moment she literally did it all by herself I also think that like goes back into the toxic masculinity aspect because if you think about it he was giving her all this love and support when she was being up on herself when she was like I'm not good enough or like when she was like Addie doesn't want me and like it's because mm-hmm. of the way I look the way I am and whatever and he was like don't say that I can't let you beat up on yourself and then it's when she starts getting this confidence is when you're kind of upset because she's no longer playing that role of depending on you for that kind of confidence anymore like she's secure herself mm-hmm. and I think once he realized that it wasn't their business because he wasn't putting in the same work that she was. That's kind of when it changed. When I think you realized that it wasn't their business. <laughs> I think that's when it actually changed because even with the language that he was using, he was using very much like inclusive language when he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we both put in the work. Like even though in his, always, you could obviously see that there was a, a majority of the work being done by another party. But like he was still like because he thought it was a project that both of them were working on, he was invested in it. And once it came to his realization, and that goes back into the point with, you know, the peanut gallery and people talking about other people's relationship, like they were like, okay, like listen to what she's actually saying. Like she's not 
including you in this, you including yourself. Mm -hmm. That is very true. That is very true. It's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It just is. Like, it's embarrassing. (laughs) I I actually put a quote down from the dad when the dad said, what kind of self-respecting Negro works for his wife? And it was just like, what? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because I think like in episode three or four, the dad is even like, I see you, you know, he's all yes. on yes. he's like, he's I see you looking around. Face. I see you like you're about to, you know, be a fool and like get it together. You feel neglected, find a hobby. I love that. I was like, yes. <laughs> no, I, I did too. I really did too. And I just feel like all the men, like all the husbands in this series is trash. CJ Walker, he cheated on his wife. John, which is uh, the daughter's husband, uh, Layla. Is that her name? Layla. Layla. Ooh, am I wrong? Oh my gosh. She was just a dead <laughs> She was so much. Her <laughs> husband was trash as well. He actually was a bum and he sold out on the family. Yeah. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about this guy who we never see, but his name is Gene. And that is Addie's husband. And I don't know if you guys remember in episode one when Addie mm-hmm. followed up to Indiana. Yeah, she had a black eye. Yeah, and she sure said that she divorced Gene. Mm-hmm. And the daughter made a comment and said, "Well, I guess being light skin doesn't bring you happiness." I feel bad for Addie. I honestly felt like I feel so bad the fact that I mean, so this, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad for the fact that like, she was so insecure in herself that she felt like I can't have you succeed. I think like. From the first episode when she was like, I can't have the likes of you, Sarah, selling my product. Right there, I was like, you're horrible. But then as the the series progressed, and I'm like, you're so sad and so hurt. Like, are you okay? I had no pity for her at all. But I I had no pity whatsoever. I think it's due to like what she was doing and she was the problem. Yeah. She was the problem. But is it because Madam T.J. Walker said, and I have another quote. Y'all know I love a good quote. This is what she said to her. She said, even in your Sunday's best, you look like you stepped off the plantation. These are my products, and I would not have the likes of you associated with them. Mm. Episode one. So you are the problem. When Madam C.J. Walker was trying to work with her, pull something together, Addie didn't want it. So no. You are the problem of the company. No, you're that we absolutely have today. right. Right. But we also like see that still playing out in like things today, like how we think. Because even with Addie's mom, remember Addie's mom was like mm-hmm. um, Tyson, right? And so yeah. um, even with that conversation, her mom thought that she was doing so well off mainly because of her skin color. And she had to like really bring it to her attention. It's like, no, that's not necessarily the case. But being the fact that she grew up in that environment, like, if your own mom, obviously, like, your mom kind of indoctrinated you to think that way. So, mm-hmm. at the same time, I was like, okay, like, I could see it. I just don't pity her. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no. I don't. Karma. I feel bad for her. What happened, Alex? <laughs> I just said karma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, for real. Karma. Here we go. That shows you. <laughs> the looks ain't all. <laughs> So we'll move right along on to our woman empowerment. Woman empowerment. And disenfranchisement. (laughs) (laughs) Mika, you want to take it away? 
Sure. So I thought this was a very interesting topic because it played out so many times in the film. Like obviously in the beginning, the first chapter, um, we see there is like a um, a fight that's happening between the two women. And it's like, it's so complex and multifaceted because yes, colorism was playing into that. But then there was also like the, the fight of just like women, like women, of color, seeing other women of color as threats. And so we know we have this um, cliche term that we kind of throw around today as empowered women, Mm -hmm. empower women. And so being the fact that they were very much disempowered in like whether they were disempowered with how they were feeling about themselves, like being very self-deprecating or disempowered with, you know, their own situation. So they were projecting it onto other people in Addie's case. Like we see that playing out like so many times. And so the there were like different different scenes, but I guess you all could talk about some of the things that you saw, and then we could dive into what I saw. Well, for think, women, oh yeah, go ahead, Alex. I was gonna say I just think the biggest thing is one of the last scenes that Adam T J Walker and Addie have together was basically like if we would have worked together, this would have been so much bigger. But now since you kind of put me down, I look where you are and look where I am that are kind of like rose above it, like especially as Black women, like we need to work together like why not work together to be stronger or work separately and be stuck in the same spot or worse um so I thought that was a big big takeaway from it absolutely I when she said that it brought everything back into full circle from that first episode if you would have worked with me when I asked you to when I when I showed you that I could have sell the products when I really wanted your help and I felt like we could have been a team and you put me down look what happened now I'm on top Mm-hmm. which is crazy so I guess that goes into the question that I had on here uh, what did you all think when you found out that the formula was actually Addie's formula and not Madam C.J. Walker's formula I had Ooh. to google it girl I was like no <laughs> Ooh, oh I think it I thought from all the right. beginning from right. the first scene <laughs> when I saw uh, when you see Madam C.J. Walker like mixing things together I thought it was obvious that it wasn't her formula. Like she was trying to get Addie's formula. No. Well, not yes. for me. Like, no, I was really. so hurt and betrayed. I didn't at the in that moment. No. Then she I had to take a little bit hurt, but I wasn't surprised because that scene kind of did make it seem like she was trying to get it, like perfect it to Addie's. Now I have another fast fact. <laughs> <laughs> Background info: I did a deep dive on this and. You always deep from what I gathered from the power of Google is that um, Madam CJ Walker did indeed, yes, go and sell Addie's product behind her back. When Addie told her no, she took one of the products and she was already friends with a, a chemist or somebody in like bio, somebody in chemistry um, to help them figure out what was in the products. When she got that is when she started making it better and improving like the smell and doing her own twist onto it because she didn't know exactly what mm-hmm. to put in it. Now, Madam mm-hmm. CJ Walker said in many, like in interviews that she like came up with the formula in a dream and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, I came up with the formula like, in a dream. Like, no, this is a dream. But in all honesty, she had the formula. She had it broken down to know really the base ingredients, which I don't think is stealing because a lot of companies still do this to do like still do this today, like your base ingredients. And all she did was put her own 
twist onto Except it. Except it was. I didn't feel that I'm way. Sorry. I did not feel that way at all. Because at the same time, when I, you, she when made it we better. About, she made it better. About, when we make inventions today, what, what would we do? We turn around, we put a patent on it, right? Because that's our idea. Well, that's an great. invention. This is a but hair product. Has, it's like, but the thing is, it's like why you lie sell about cheese it? You, okay. If you're being so ethical and moral, why lie about it? I think I think you have no. to think about the fact that Addie was already trying to destroy her any way any which way and she was trying to discredit her in any which way that if she would have known yes I, ha- I took your formula and I perfected it I made it better than what you ever could she would have been like our product's the same thing that's my product and so and I think about anything too you think about shoes and it would have her stealing it, she which is, is my point. To me, she didn't steal That's it. That's the thing. It's like, she to figure out what happened, like, what's in it. She stole it. I look at it as this. Like, and this is kind of probably like a terrible metaphor, but like, when you go to Publix and you want to buy a box of Cheez Its, you have Cheez Its brand and Publix brand. When you turn around the ingredients, they're practically identical. The only thing is one may taste a little bit more cheesy, more cheddar, <laughs> and one thing real bland because off-brand. So when you look at this, Addie's is really like, quote-unquote, the Cheez-Its, and Madison J. Walker is like the off-brand, but the, the off-brand just, just tastes better. It, better. better. It, 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 yeah. it works better. It just works better. I think she could have been the base ingredient. I don't think she could have been because it would have made her lose so no. much. And she could have. She went to jail or a lawyer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Because it wasn't hers, but the honestly, I don't think that she had a patent on it anyway. <laughs> At that time, like people, I think that wasn't the point, though. No, I don't think that was the point. It wasn't. There wasn't any legal ramifications. But I think. I think even even in the series, you hear about the. Even in the series, you hear about like her reputation meant so much to her. Like they would have dragged this and made this bigger than what it was. Okay, fast fact number four, and I'll make it pretty snappy. The real story of Addie and Madame J. Walker um, is kind of similar to the beginning of the episode, kind of like how they met when, Matt, when um, her first husband left her. She did work for Addie, and Madame J. Walker had a vision. She just knew like she could make the product better. And what happened was, I don't think Addie wanted to work with her because all it says on Google and many different articles was that they had a falling out. Something happened. Um, before she had moved to Indiana. I don't think Addie like, in, like, intentionally followed her or anything like that, but they did have a falling out because they were supposed to be a team, and that's what CJ Walker wanted. I don't think that's what Addie wanted. And Addie um, and her had a falling out, and Addie went on to open up many different hair schools, and her product lived on for a little while, like for some decades after that. And in all honesty, she is the first millionaire in the Guinness Book of World Records, not what? Madam T.J. Walker. Oh, she is God. technically the first one. But she never gets any of the credit or really any recognition. I, I don't know why, live, but she's the first. She didn't live on the same block with the Rockefellers. I'm sorry. She, she didn't, didn't live on the same block. Uh-huh. And, yeah, she didn't. But she was a chemist. She was a chemist um, and started making her product better. Well then, but another thing that I found very interesting was, as far as like the empowerment piece, was um, how in the film, like Madam C.J. Walker's, like her whole premise was women empowerment, 
And even with that whole spat that she had with Addy, like everything that she did was like for the empowerment and the betterment of like women entrepreneurs. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. So like when they were starting to protest and she was trying to get the deal with moving the products in the drugstore, while it would have been a good business move on her part, like, and even like in the film, it was like the Rockefeller um, guy was like, no, you're going to do what's best for you and F them. Like she still yeah. couldn't turn her on her true purpose because her purpose was for the empowerment of black women. I thought that was very interesting. There's this quote again. I'm just quoting everything. Yeah, <laughs> <said> all <the laughs> quotes. And, and this is from Madam J. Walker episode one, where she is uh, selling products in town and she's selling her own products. And it said, she says, if she looks good, we all look good. If she looks respectable, we all look respectable. Um, and that was so powerful because mm-hmm. I, right before she says that line, the girl uh, says she's trying to get a job at the hotel and they wouldn't hire her because uh, she didn't have the right look. And Madam C.J. Walker turns that into like, you know, if you don't have that right look or what, like whatever they may think of you, that's how they think of all of us. So let's build each of us all up so we all feel and we all look good. And I thought that was just beautiful. I agree. Going off of that, just like tying it back to what I said before, is like we don't have to step on each other's necks or discredit someone else to win. We can all grow together. We can all succeed together, and we are often stronger together. So, I think that's true. Do you feel like mm -hmm. now is because I feel like that's used very loosely now? Like, oh, women empowerment, women empowerment. Do you feel like we still have those same problems of like colorism and women empowerment in today's society? Oh, yes. I consider for definite sure. So for those of you who don't know, so the four of us, we were able to attend a multicultural conference in December. And um, I had the opportunity to be a part of what was um, titled a Red Table Talk. And so one of the topics that came up, it was like a group of Black women, just this, or women of color, actually, it wasn't just Black women. But um that affinity group was like just so warming and welcoming. When I say you had all generations, like multiple um, ethnicities present. And then that topic of like women feeling threatened or what they call like the crab in the barrel mentality and how that plays out in the workplace, especially in higher education. Like I just thought, I was like, wow, like just to think we, Think that we made so much progress, but we still doing a lot of the same shit that was being done back then. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just all be one? Like as women, as women of color, why? Because you're lighter or like I'm darker. Does that discredit me from my work or my looks or anything like that? But I also want to um, kind of uplift or give it applause to the entrepreneurs that are having classes so that other people can learn how to do hair or do lashes or Absolutely. even like or including us on doing this podcast when you could have you know done it yourself but you thought that maybe we'd be stronger together so like I want to commend those that do uplift um and empower other women yes. in that way well going into women empowerment and talking about like you know just like you said, Alex, doing hair, doing lashes, well, like more to what we do now. Let's touch a little bit on black hair in the show because obviously this is Master G. Walker, her, she made these hair products for black hair 
Um, and I guess the question I'm trying to lead to is, you know, does it define you in the black community? Do you feel like your hair defines you I as a black woman? Say, I, okay, so I had locks for 16 years. And um, when I was ready to do the big chop, I was afraid that it was going to like take a part of me away because I, um, I've had them for so long. But actually cutting my hair and starting over and kind of, I guess you could say redefining made me realize that no, it does not define me. And it's kind of like you first. And then that's another piece of you, like an addition. I think that is very interesting that you say that because I am doing the very opposite. <laughs> where I, um, I'm installing um, sister locks. And for me, my decision to install not just any old locks, but sister locks was a defining moment for myself. Um, Growing up, so as you know, Sarah's going to harp on this one. I have a Caribbean background heritage, right? There's a large portion of my family that is like Rastafarian, and that mm-hmm. lived into like a lot of Africanist with a K, um, you know, uh, traditions and ideologies and beliefs and all that. So all that is traded or uh, trailed through like my bloodline, and I felt like even with my loose natural hair, I was not in connection with any of that. I could not like really identify with any of that. And if anybody knows me, mm-hmm. I am a pork eater and I'm a dark meat eater. So like, obviously <laughs> there's no like alignment, but when I decided that I wanted to lock my hair, I know I was like, okay, I want to identify with my lineage but then at the same time like professionally like we mm-hmm. know that there is still a stigma attached to you know locks and um the size of your locks the neatness of your locks the length of your locks like i kind of dictates how far you go and how people judge you mm-hmm. that's so powerful mika yeah, it is and i think for me it was like if i cut my hair what's left Cause I felt like it did define me in a way. And I was always the girls with the girl with the locks. And I was afraid that when I cut my hair, there was going to be nothing left or I had to figure out what else there is. And I think through that process, I have learned myself more and I have been actually defining myself now. Wow. That's so deep. My story is not that deep. I, <laughs> I wish it was deeper. Honestly, I was the girl that always had extensions. Like when I mean, weaved down pressed hair done every two three weeks that was me I was that girl all the way up until my junior year in college and I decided I wanted to cut all my hair off because it was just it wasn't healthy due to again me taking it out every two three weeks putting fresh weave in it fresh extensions flat ironing it was just horrible and the summer of 2017 I cut all of my hair off I went to I cut it myself and I looked like that rug rat. Stop stone. it. Like, Stop um, it. So my friends took me, I would never forget this day. They took me to the barbershop because I had to have it cut like just all the way. And I was in the chair crying and the barber was like, trust me, girl, like you look better. <laughs> um, and all my friends, like they were like, they, they were around me. Like, yeah, like the barber was kind of low key rude, but like all my friends were around me. Like, they're just like, it's okay. Like we support you in that moment as a black female with literally a boy cut, I never felt more like empowered. And from there, I never permed my hair. Um, 
I, I have put like weave back in my hair, but I really don't. I stay away from that. And right now I have faux locks in. So I do kind of feel like as a black girl, your hair does define you because you don't get the luxury sometimes to wake up in the morning and kind of like throw it in a ponytail and still make it look, you know, like it will just look good. Like when you wake up, like you have to take time, like you have to, you know, put rollers on it or twist it or curl it to make it look somewhat professional for society or, you know, you have to do something with it. So it just, it's more maintained. We don't have that luxury of like, you know, throwing it up in a ponytail real quick and taking it out. And it's like still Mm -hmm. flowy. Um, Like maybe other cultures may. So I think it's just so important as a black female that like, you know, like your hair, you feel confident with it. I, and that's why I personally can't speak to having black hair. But <laughs> for those who don't know, <laughs> you don't say, right? I'm just a little Peruvian girl here. And I just have, you know, wavy hair. But um, back to like all your points, I think like that's so true and valid. And I think about even like when I hear about cases where, you know, this student was forced to cut off their hair and things like that. It's, it's so frustrating oh, and so, gosh, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's so disheartening mm-hmm. to like, to still know that like you have to have a law in order for you to be protected for your hair for something like you should have the freedom to do whatever you want with and it's just it's just messed up man it's very hard but we're you know honestly coming out like this show being coming out on netflix this series and getting to see like mastery walker come up and really empower women be an entrepreneur and just really take in our black hair and make us feel like we can be something and we can be a part of this society and fit in and still make money, be a millionaire. And not, not even just being a millionaire because people that were working for her weren't, but they felt like they can do something in life was so empowering. Um, and I recommend if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. And that's all I have for it tonight. But, oh, and I, I thought just Mika? came to my mind. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that is on show. I love English show. Okay, never mind. I'm going to let No, 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 no. No, now we're all hyped up. Oh, my God. Yeah, now we're all intrigued. <laughs> okay, no, because I don't know if it was for y'all, if it was the same experience for y'all, but I've never seen Madam C.J. Walker depicted in this light. Like, she has always been, as far as I know, as a natural, a person that has never permed her hair um, or had, like, relaxer. She has always been seen as the woman who wanted to be more Eurocentric, the woman who wanted the long, flowy hair, the woman who not um, invented but popularized the... um, the hair iron and so with that like it was it was never like there was never a connection made to her using hair as an empowerment tool it was always seen as her trying to take black women out of context as far as like based on my like heritage and like how we like to wear our hair like natural and like and I would just say one quick point Mm -hmm. is to me, I do get what you're saying because I I was told growing up that she like invented the hot comb, which we all know she didn't, but right. she did popularize it and use it more. Um, and but what was funny was the first person who told me that that I think about it was not my mom, not anybody in my family. Mm. It was actually um, my white friend's mom who oh. told me that when I was probably like in the third grade. Oh, and that's a whole nother story. <laughs> that's that's I know. I know. I know. That's a whole nother story and stuff that I won't get into. But 
I think, again, you have to remember who are, like, who's telling these stories? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it coming through the perspective of the white man's eye or is it coming from, you know, the black female's eye? So right. seeing it in this light was very I also, refreshing. I also right. thinking yeah, about that too, it's just like going back to our, the national conference that we went to, um, that we mentioned earlier, I remember one of the conversations that we had with one of the speakers was like, sometimes you got to play the game to get in to destroy it later. And that to me was like so powerful to be like, all right, you know, right now I'm going to blend it, but watch out. <laughs> Which I think is what Booker T. Washington was trying to do, but that's a whole story for another day. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. Uh, we'll be back not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that. <laughs> and we'll be talking about budgeting while quarantined. Um, so thank you guys so much and bye. 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 Bye y'all.